God is good, and God is doing many things still. That's not a segue line. God is doing many things right now. And uh, I've experienced them personally. Who has experienced miracles this year? Just, just even an encounter with God, just a deeper relationship with God. Has anybody else experienced that this year? Just me, I guess. Okay, there we go. So we've said it before, but you know now we're living it, and it's a, there's a truth in it that during trying times, there's an opportunity to actually have a stronger relationship with God. And when you read through the Word, during the trying times in the Word, that's when the people cried out. That's when people had an encounter with God. And I'm really thankful that uh, this church did not miss this opportunity. We don't ask for times like this. We've been very faithful in this church to be praying for those that have been suffering, haven't we? We've been praying for the sick. We've been praying for the cities that are going through it. But we still need to live like God does. And God sees those things, and yet he still has a people. Everybody say, yet God still has a people. See, Egypt was going through some trials. Egypt was going through some tribulations, and yet God's people were protected, weren't they? It's not that we don't feel bad for Egypt, quote-unquote, right? That we don't feel bad for those that are suffering, but we must pray. And, and many of those Egyptians actually went with Israel. They have the opportunity. The world has the opportunity to repent and come with us, don't they, into the church, into an eternal church, not to this building. They, they're welcome to the building, too, but into the eternal church. Amen. But while we can feel bad in our human natural self and spiritually that should, should just cause us to pray we cannot stay there with the world in their suffering we must be like jesus who was with the people and understood them and had compassion on them but the world didn't get on him did it it doesn't you know it doesn't bring him down. Jesus, it says when Lazarus died, he was sad because he was a human being too. But he also, even if he was not a human being, we were made in God's image. So our human emotions, they do come from God. God just knows God's got them properly balanced and they're not all out of control. But sad and sorrow and mourning is part of God too. He, he is sad for us. That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus even came for us because the Lord was sad for us and made a way for us. But it says that Jesus was sad. And so he had that emotion, but he did not... Uh, I need to be careful because I, I think, you know, someone could misunderstand my words and misunderstand the context, but he did not let the world control him, and he did not become part of that broken system that he had come into. Does that make sense? It was very broken. You know, it's always been broken. Without Jesus, it's broken. It doesn't matter how good and how bad. Without Jesus, the world is broken. 
Your, your very nature, everything about you, just you existing is broken without God. It, it's kind of a, it's funny today, uh, maybe to say because it was like a uh, Christianese line, but it is true, which is that there's a God-shaped hole inside of you, and only God can fill it. Without Jesus, it's broken. And what Jesus does is, this is just simple Christianity 101, but he comes into this world, he changes a life, then that life is changed and reflects him, and then that life reflects unto another life, and so on and so on and so on. We've talked about this many, many times. That's God's way, isn't it? He uses people. He raised up the disciples, and they raised up and raised up and raised up, and we're here today. Nobody in this room has met Jesus in the flesh, right? Anybody have Jesus in the flesh come and save you, right? So somebody shared the gospel with you. That's God's way. That's how God does it. The only reason that person was able to reach you, though, is because they were not or no longer of the world. Sure, there is some, there's going to be sin that's still just falling off of us for our entire lives. You know, it gets finer and finer and finer, but there's always stuff that's, you know, you, we're getting closer and closer to the reflection the image of Christ. A, 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 an increasing in, uh, maturity, right? Amen? But nonetheless, what was attractive about Jesus when it was presented to you was, yes, the, the, maybe for you it was, I'm not going to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, or, you know, uh, there was, uh, I, I want the joy, I want the hope, I want the life, I want the peace that this person has. It wasn't just words, but it was what the person had, amen. Is that anybody else in here that what moved you was not just the words, but the person or the people or maybe people over time, right, that you notice that there's something to this gospel that they keep talking about, and I want it. And it was because of a simple truth that the person was no longer of the world. The person had been changed. And again, there's always going to be more changing. I'm not saying that the person who came to you was perfect. You know, some of those people, this is hard to think about and hard to imagine, but some of them have even fallen away after but they were changed, they had something happen in their lives, and then when they brought the gospel to you, it was that change in them, it was their testimony in them that really reflected out the gospel. Not just the words, but their life reflected it. And so, what I'm trying to say, hopefully I'm making, am I making any sense? Sometimes I got an idea in my mind, and Holy Spirit kind of just drops a picture. God speaks in pictures, not always words, and then we have to try to translate it into words. But it's that it, it's just as simple as this, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We need to be here, be present here, have compassion, and pray, but simultaneously not be of this world. It's not that we're unaware or our head is in the sand, because that's, that's not Christ. But it just does not affect us. Say it does not affect me. We can't let this world affect us. There's a broken world, and yet God wants us to build his kingdom here on the earth. Amen.
We're continuing the kingdom. Do you know the kingdom is always being built? And it's all and the Lord has not changed the Great Commission. The commission on the earth until he wraps the scroll up is the same thing. We've had World War One, World War Two. Maybe we're on the brink of World War III. I don't know. I'm not saying that. I just don't know where we're at. But it doesn't matter because the gospel has always stayed the same. No matter what was going on in the world, it was a broken world, even though it looked worse in the natural. And it didn't look so bad in the 1950s, right? The happy days, the 1950s, the happy times, right? The generation that, that, that had, uh, you know, the, the American dream, right? The IBM eras and, and everything, all the white picket fence and so on. And, but it was just as broken without Christ, right? Amen? And so I just want to speak for a few minutes today that God has a commission on us. And yes, the micro strategies change. For instance, you know, we need to be careful the people that you're with right now, or maybe you need to be careful of what city you're going to go have a picnic in right now, right? So that's kind of the micro strategies. But, but on the greater scale, the strategy is this, that the world is broken, they need Jesus, and it comes through us. Amen. That doesn't change, even though he might tell you, that's not your call to go into that city today. I have someone for that. There's a broken world that needs Christ. And we read as a church, if you're doing the Bible reading together as a church family, we read through Nehemiah a couple weeks ago, and I really love Nehemiah. Who loves Nehemiah? He is such a great story. He's so inspiring to me, too. And... Um, so just a little bit of reading that I want to do because I want to set the, the stage. So I'm going to just, uh, chapter 1 is very short. I'm going to read chapter 1, and you guys can just read along. We're going to put Nehemiah chapter 1 up on the screen. And I just want to look at something I believe the Lord's, just continuing on my intro here, what the Lord is saying today, that uh, Nehemiah is an interesting situation. Because it starts right off, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. And it's even interesting, it says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah, something. And uh, his name's easier to say than his father's name. Chapter, uh, verse 2. Um, I just thought this was interesting, even the fact that it says, uh, it says, it says, in late autumn, I don't know why, didn't, did it say that? Did I miss it? Because in my... Well, sometimes they're always updating him. That's so funny because in my version, it says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. It doesn't say that on this, this digital computer version. But yeah, it says it in our, on, on your app as well. But I just thought it was like, wow, Lord, talk about a timely word. It even says that it was in late autumn that this happened, right? Kind of interesting. And um, so it says in verse 2, which is up there, uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. 
And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 3, it says, They said to me, things are not going well. Who can say that right now? If one of your brothers came to you and gave you an update of what's going on in your nation, they might say something similar to that, wouldn't they? Things are not going well. Might be an understatement. He says, uh, they're in great trouble, or your translation might say, great distress. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, or might be translated, you know, was torn down because Nehemiah wasn't there, but it's the walls torn down, the gates have been destroyed by fire. So there's trouble, there's disgrace, great distress. The walls are down. Everybody say the walls are down. You know what walls are? Walls are protection. They're also a symbol of peace and security and safety. Walls were a very big deal for cities back then. We don't have physical walls much anymore. You know, there are drones and, uh, and satellites and, uh, and air forces, you know, guarding the coast and, and coast guards and, and navy and so on, right? That's our walls today, but walls were a big deal because it was the peace. You know, inside the wall was peace and safety, even if there was war going on outside, until they would do what's called a siege, right? And they'd build a siege ramp, and the ramp was so that they could get over the wall and into the city, ultimately, to take the city, take its peace. So the walls were down, which symbolizes the peace is gone, the doors are open, the enemy had his way with us, and there's been fire. How coincidental, right? This is an interesting little passage, some interesting things I just feel like the Lord told me to pay attention to. Autumn, walls are down, and there's some fire going on. And when I heard this, I sat down, just like we did on August 8th, and we've been doing it really since March, but we did it corporately with the world, we heard this, sat down, and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. That's always the answer. Commercial break. I'm gonna just going to say this again. I've been saying this all along, and so are men and women across the world. That is the answer. That is our answer as the church. God is still God. He still has a plan and a purpose, and the only way that it's going to change is that we get before him, we fast and we pray for him to change the situation, change the climate, but we, while we're fasting and praying, we cannot become like the world and get into fear. We cannot get into worry. We cannot run and hide. We certainly have no right to respond like them and get into anger, and to fight, etc., right? But this is the answer. All right, commercial break over. just want to get somewhere here. But this is a part of the story. This is the key. 
but then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that I have sinned against you. See, this is the key, too, is that we have to personally represent. And I said this last week that the Lord gave this to me as a strategy, but it's right from his word. This is what he's been giving people across the world as a strategy that we take the sins upon ourselves. Nehemiah wasn't the one who sinned. Nehemiah is in a foreign land. He's been taken captive. It wasn't his sin that caused it, but he's putting it on himself. He considers the people himself, they're one, and he says, I have sinned. He says, we have sinned, and yes, even my own family and I have sinned. And repented on behalf of the sins of his family, of his nation. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses, just like this nation today. This nation has pushed God out little by little, right? We had those 1950s, you know, and that's when you got all the, all the revival going on, the Billy Grahams and so on. That's that era. 1960s, you know, we have the, the, the hippie era starts and then the rebellion and then we have take god down we have abortion starts coming we have you know uh sexual liberality and etc etc right take the take god out of the courthouses remove his statues i mean what i mean line upon line you can see like from the 1950s to here i mean we just removed just erased god's memory and erased him from this nation just like what he's pleading here and says that you told your servant Moses, you told America, God, that if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But I'm not going to leave you there. Verse 9, he says, but America, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. And he said, O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those, of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Arxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine, and I'd never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I'm sorry, I've been kind of, I didn't tell Mariah, but I might be skipping some verses here. I'm just getting through. Verse 8, and the king granted these requests. He said, I, 
I want, it's been put in my heart, and I'm asking the Lord for favor, and I've been fasting and praying and seeking God, and now here I, he, he's here before the king, and the king in verse 8 grants his request. And I firmly believe, I don't know what it will look like, but I firmly believe that the Lord has already granted this nation's request. I don't know. I don't want to be the guy who said, oh, Adam said it's going to look like this or it's going to look like that. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad in the natural. I'm not making any prediction of what it will look like in this nation, na this nation in the natural. But I know that I know that God has heard the prayers of the saints across this nation. We've been repenting. We've been praying. We've been fasting. We've been pleading with God. And God has heard it. Who even knows? Who is he can even feel the heart of God that God is moving? Amen. I feel such hope. I don't know what that means because, you know, there was still a process here, and that's what I want to preach about today. I don't know what that means. It will look like in the natural, but God's people, he's going to watch over you. He's going to watch over his people in this nation, and whoever will repent can join. I mentioned Egypt. It wasn't in today's notes. It's just kind of coming out of the Holy Spirit here, but Egypt... It says that many of the Egyptians left and went with Israel. So, you know, the world has the opportunity. As God grants us uh, peace and he gives us his blessing and he protects us, he takes care of us, the world is welcome. Amen. They can leave that world anytime they want and come and worship God with us. Amen. just need to say that because, you know, that's the key. We're not just in this world and not of this world, and it's a secluded club that no one's allowed in. All are welcome, and all, he says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. I'll slash, you know, that verse and put a second half on. So, so Jesus loves all, and all can be saved. Amen. But the Lord is moving on our behalf. That's the point of what I want to bring up right now. The Lord is moving on the church's behalf. The Lord has heard the request. The request is in. It's in. The mail made it. Maybe the mail got held up. Devil's been trying to hold our mail up. I don't know. But the mail has made it to heaven. God has heard our request. And there are things moving in the heavens on our behalf and on America's behalf. And I know it. Let it be said today. Let it be stated. But it says in verse 11... It says, so I arrived in Jerusalem. Everybody say, so I arrived back in the old America that I once knew. Three days later. It says, the city officials did not know, verse 16, uh, it did not know I had been out there and what I was doing. He's doing some surveying. He's kind of scanning. He's, he's doing some assessing. There's so many sermons in here. I could spend weeks on Nehemiah. But just for today's purpose, he's kind of figuring out, okay, what's my game plan here? All right, God, you sent me here. You, I had favor, and now I'm here. So he's getting a game plan. And so he comes, and, he, and it says he had not spoken, verse 16, yet to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. Verse 17, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Everybody say, I want you to say this out loud. The king granted his request 
but the city still lied in ruins. God has heard our request, and there is favor, but there are still ruins that we need to deal with. We are the church. We are the answer. We cannot right now, this is so, 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 this is going to be such a big deal, and hopefully I can get this point across with today's sermon. We cannot plead with God and pray and ask him for mercy, have God give it to us, and then take a vacation and just enjoy Christmas, and that's it. And think we're just going to move on, go back to some sort of new old, or old new, or I don't know what it to think anymore. We're going to have to be so tenacious. I want you to say some words out loud with me. Tenacious, vigilant, steadfast. That's how we're going to have to be. You think you prayed and fasted so far, we're going to have to pray and fast this thing continuing through. Imagine Jesus was like, well, Lord, I already prayed. I already fasted. I did a miracle. Jesus says to the Father, I did a miracle. I helped that city. And the Father says, well, there's another city. And there's another city, and there's another person, and there's another person, and there's another person. Until the mission is done. Jesus didn't take vacations. He didn't take breaks. You know, when he pulls away, he pulls away to pray and to seek the Lord. That's his vacation. Some people don't take their Bibles on vacation. That's sad. I don't know what that's for. That's the Lord. Wow, the Holy Spirit has had that come out of my mouth. So that's for someone out there. You just receive it. You're not hearing it from me. I have just love and grace and mercy, but the Lord's got some things to say. Amen. He said, there's trouble, and Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let, let's say this out loud, because I think this is so good. I'm so encouraged by the Lord. Let us rebuild the wall. It says in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah heard of the calamity, just as we've heard of the calamities across our nation. And it says that he prayed and sought the Lord. And the Lord answered his prayer with favor. The Lord did not answer his prayer by rebuilding what he had allowed to be torn down. He made them do that. That's the whole Bible. There are the rare cases, and I love, who knows Jehoshaphat? There are the rare cases where he literally says, I want you to stand and see. Just stand and watch. But they are the rarities. And even that case, he, they had to purify themselves, present themselves to the Lord, and then they worshipped the Lord and praised the Lord. It wasn't just, you know, a lazy thing where they set up their tents and went to sleep and then there was the victory. They stood and they worshipped through it and the Lord brought a victory in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Right? Remember. Also, we have... Moses standing at the Red Sea. Yes, it supernaturally parted, but he stood there and he said, Lord, what are we going to do? And God said, is there not a rod in your hand? God, you think that God was incapable of just opening that sea as they walked up to it? 
I think God could have built a supernatural bridge right over the water. I don't think that God even needed the water to be water. Why well, don't just, just walk on top of it? Jesus did it. And yet God allowed them to come up to the water and made him call upon the Lord. But then the Lord put it back on him. Now, it wasn't his power. Moses knew what the power was coming through. He knew who gave him that rod. It wasn't him. And yet he had to do it. Everybody say it wasn't him. Yet he had to do it. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah. We can pray and we can fast, but we cannot expect that the Lord is going to rebuild America. We must do that. I'm not saying that that's going to be just you just rebuild whatever you want and however you want. Again, we don't have the time because I want to get the end of, to the end of the sermon. But there's strategy. There's a way to do it. He wasn't flipping about it. He surveyed. He thought about it. There is a way that God will have us to do it, which when in doubt, we're going to focus on the simplicity of the gospel. A person saved, right? A person genuinely saved is 1,000 times if I could put a number to it, more effective at doing something productive in this nation than a thousand people unsaved that I give tasks and, you know, the physical rebuildings. If I can touch one person who can share the love of Christ with one person, to share the genuine love of Christ with one person that breaks down the real walls, which are internal, not the city walls, but the heart walls, the bitterness, the hurts, the unforgiveness, the brokenness, the twisting, the, all the lies the devil's put in their minds throughout their entire life from, from kindergarten onward and from cartoons to movies has been painting this picture that there is no God and that everything's against them and they're going to have to fight every way they turn to try to become somebody in this earth. All that has to come crashing down and ultimately that is what we're here to do. Amen. You're going to have to listen back to get all that. I told them, verse 18, about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Then they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And the symbolism here is, yes, let's restore the peace and the security and the safety to this nation. That's the symbol. That's what the wall is. Just a little tiny history at this point. Uh, some had already come back to the city, and the temple had been rebuilt. Maybe it wasn't perfect, but the temple was built, and there was, it was capable of uh, operating as the original temple, because um, we, we can hear about that in Ezra and partly in the story. So just because it existed doesn't mean that it was the way that it was supposed to be. You know, the nation exists. We're still here, and it could be easy just to be here, and yet there was an emptiness because it was missing the peace 
and the safety and the security. You know, even in heaven, God has his city designed perfectly. I was just meditating on this. I'm like, God, why do you need a city in heaven? Why not just have the whole, you know, the, why not just have the universe as a city? I don't know, you know, but like we, we don't realize, but the city here on the earth, the, the Jerusalem and Israel was designed after God's city, a holy one. So in essence, when the wall was put in, which is a portion, right? There's a gate. We know there's a gate because Peter stands in front of the pearly gate, right? <laughs> So we know there's a wall because there's a gate. In essence, his, there was a brokenness. There was an imperfection. It existed, but it was imperfect, and God wanted to bring that perfection back. God has a way. Come on, you know that God has a way? God has a way, and his way is his way, and he wants things perfect. He doesn't bash us over the head. I mean, he allowed the thing to be demolished, and he allowed the thing to sit. He's not bashing over the head, but he wants that. And there is like a, there is a, there is a restoration that must come because that's God's way. I don't want to get too deep into that because, again, I'm trying to get to a conclusion here. But it says they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Let's just review. Chapter 1, who commissioned this project? Ultimately, not Artaxerxes, God did. Who gave Nehemiah favor? God did. Who sent Nehemiah ultimately? Not King Artaxerxes, right? But God did. And yet, let's just review. It says clearly here, verses before and here, that they have to rebuild the wall. Verse 19, it says, everybody say, but. When you see this in the Bible, brace yourself. <laughs> Hold on. You're going to see this little word all through the Bible. Has God changed? When we see the but. Verse 19, has God changed? Is the same God who granted them favor still God? We need to understand something here. I really, really believe that God has heard our request. I'm saying it again and let it go into the podcast, let it go into the airwaves, be said. God has heard the request. Now it's going to be, as things start to turn and move, what are we going to do with what God has given us? Because this, this is what's in front of us. Sanballat, who hates these characters? <laughs> I'm just saying them, man. They're, if you know this book, they're like, you know, my nemesis. Because I, I think of these actual names, you know, in life. I have before. Just the, it's not the people. The devil uses people, just as God uses people, to just get in your way and bring friction to everything you ever want to do for God. And that's what happens here. It says, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, and they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. Who knows the book of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah is going to see these characters for the rest 
of the story. And yet I just read in chapter 1 that God brought him a three days journey all the way back to Jerusalem. He gave him favor and sent him on this supernatural mission. A cupbearer is now going to rebuild Jerusalem. What an honor. And this is what he faces immediately. In fact, just for time, because I think this is verse 19's review of some verses back. It's kind of painted that way. But they're, they're mentioned a couple of verses earlier. But just for time, I didn't want to break our rhythm here. I wanted to bring them into the story now. Um, it says, I replied, verse 20, the God of heaven will help us succeed. It says in verse 20, the God of heaven will help us succeed. That means who's going to do it? That's hard to answer. That's hard to answer in our human world through, with a human, a human existence. That means who's doing it? It's not even 50-50. Just like Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Do that math on the earth. Does that make sense? And yet it's true. Just outside of the earth. This is 100% God and yet 100% man. Because all that you would see and all that the, it's all 100%. You know, the stones don't get lighter. There's not one verse that says that the stones got lighter. Who knows the story? I'm just fast forwarding because of time, right? But they're going to rebuild. They're going to do this wall. Amen. They're going to finish this wall that God commissioned them to do. I'm just giving you the end of the story if you don't know it already. There's not one verse that said the job got easier and that the stones got lighter. And yet, he testifies that God will help us succeed. This is where we're at right now. The Lord has given us favor. The Lord has heard our request. He's granted our request. But there is still an enemy that I don't see leaving until the end of time. Not just, you know, 2020 or 2021. Don't even... You know what I think happens is we're raised from, as children to have summer vacation. I swear, I think this is like this idea. And it gets into our humanity as adults. We're always trying to get a task done so we can take a break. Who's like that? We want to get through a season so you can have the next season off. Let me just push through this time. right? That's where, that's where workaholics actually, that's where that it becomes an addiction. That's what a workaholic is. They're always trying to work to the end, and then sadly, some of them never make it to that retirement, right, that they work so hard for. But it's this thing inside them. Let me push through for a season so I can have time off, so I can get through it. Don't even think about it. You could push through 2020, push through 21, hold the enemy back. The moment you put your guard down, they'll be right back. That's what the Lord has to say. Do not put your guard down. We are in a war that will be won by God, but is won with tenacity, vigilance, steadfastness, consistency. Not a season of prayer, but a lifestyle of prayer. Not a season of fasting, but a lifestyle of fasting. Not spending time as the church because we're in a tough time and then vacationing after, but to consistently grow into the maturity, that mature stature of Christ Jesus.
I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed, and we are his servants. Uh, we will start rebuilding this wall. We can be bold about it. It's not arrogant. We're bold about it. We are going to do what God has asked us to do. We need to know it. Nehemiah knew who he was in God. He's not on CNN here trying to start a war with Sanballat. But he knows who he is, and he knows what God has asked him to do. And you need to know that you know that you know that you have been put into this nation at this time for a purpose. And if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. God is not going to do it for you. I know it's strange. It, I know it's, such, it's hard for me to even voice because it's our minds. It's like it's so wired that it's almost like this programming. I don't know where it came from, but that God does everything. I feel like I'm dealing with it many times as I'm preaching. It's just this principality or power or whatever. I don't know. You know, there's things we don't understand, but that put this doctrine into our time that Christians attend a church. They come on Sundays and they attend. It's a demonic doctrine. It's not in the Bible. We are the church. We are his body. And my Bible, not doctrine, says that there is a war that started with Adam and Eve, and God ultimately wins in Revelation but until that time, to stay steady and steadfast. Not doctrine, not denomination. Bible, that's what the Bible says. And he says, you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. We need to know that right now. You know, the devil can think that he's going to do something here. Do something, and you can apply this personally, too. You can try to stake claim in your family, stake claim in your neighborhood, stake claim in this valley, stake claim in this nation, but we know. You need to know it. We need to be bold about it, that the devil has no share, legal right, or historic claim in this nation. We have been granted this land. We have been given our families by the Lord. We need to know that we know that we know that we know. That's where it starts. You don't know that. He's going to win every single time. It says in chapter 4, and I'm culminating this. I'm going to just wrap this up now here. But in chapter 4, it says, Sanballat was very angry, verse 1, when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, and he flew into a rage. You know, there's a rage, and I think that the rage increased. You know what happened? I don't want to be, I don't want to just make this about a history lesson or about something political, because it's not. But you know what happened? Did you notice Christians across the nation started praying and fasting and seeking God back in March, because of COVID, not because of any riots, not because of fires, there was no hurricanes, it was just one issue, right? And there was, I could start to sense it, there was this dis, 
uh, and, and I knew that Christians across the nation were praying and seeking God because it's like, you know, I don't know if it's the end or it's just a season in our, in our lives, but Lord, we need you. We know that. And the enemy went into a rage. He stirred up so many different pots across every spectrum because Christians, even though their churches were shut down, didn't shut down. Come on, who, who can identify? This is... And then, then things got real crazy. We still haven't seen what Revelation could unfold to be, but in the scale of what it was in March to the scale of what it has become, there's this rage, and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Christians think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day and it says, your translation might vary a little here, but by offering sacrifices to God, do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? This is the pivotal moment we're at right now. The enemy stirred up so many different angles and so many different things that we could become discouraged, not run from God, but retreat from the mission. This could be the moment where he would try to get us just to retreat because the mission seems overwhelming and impossible. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was walking along, uh, standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. And it's just that mocking and that irritation, right? That's what's happened. Christians have been experiencing it. Some Christians don't even know why, but they just feel irritated. They just feel irritation everywhere, right? Who, who can identify? You've just been feeling irritation everywhere and with everyone and with everything. And it's just the devil trying to stir things up because God's people have been praying. That's what you should expect. If we expect it, in fact, I read a quote in my commentary here of this chapter or of Nehemiah, and it said, the commentary said, if you expect opposition, you will be prepared rather than surprised. Knowing that God is behind your task is the best incentive to move ahead in the face of opposition. What you need to do right now is not let that irritation get the best of you. You're aware of it. You're aware of the issues, but you just keep moving. I said that last week. This is the moment right now. The Lord gave me a word for today. It's brick by brick. I want you to say that out loud. We're going to rebuild brick by brick, stone by stone. It's one upon another, one at a time, one at a time until it's done. You know, I work in, in, for my trade. It goes by footage, and sometimes I can look at footage and be overwhelmed at the beginning of the job because I'm like, I have to do all those feet. One time we went on a project and it was over two and a half miles of aluminum that I was going to have to install. Two and a half miles, 12,000 or uh, uh, two, two miles and a little bit of change, 12,000 plus feet. And at the beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. And then you know how you do it, though? One foot one foot, suddenly you have 100 feet done. 
suddenly you're like, wow, there's a thousand feet done. Then you hit that 6,000 mark, which is like, oh, I still have 6,000 to go. And so because of that, I want you to pause. And that's where I'm, I kind of feel like from the Lord that we're at right now. This is what happens. All that to culminate to chapter four, and I'm wrapping this up right now. They get to this point, and they've been, they said, okay, the Lord's with them. They stuck with it. Okay, Lord, we're going to do what you've asked us to do. They build it. They face the opposition. He says in verse four, they prayed, hear us, God, and, and may their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And then in verse six, it says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. It got done even though there was opposition because they worked with enthusiasm or your translation might just say they worked, which is also fine. Because the only way that work gets done is if you do the work. I have found that many times. I can stare at it and think about it. And then I'm like, okay, let's get started. Let's just get it done. That's the only way it gets done. And the Lord's got a task for us. But what I believe that we're at right now is we might be in this place, actually. We're kind of in like this teeter-totter place where we've reached this kind of halfway point. The Lord has heard us. The Lord's actually doing things. But it says that uh, when they hit this point, it says, verse 7, here they are again, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they made plans to fight, so it's still going on, and it says they made plans to fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. You've been praying, you've been seeking, you've been doing the work, and then the enemy comes to try to just get you into confusion. It says, but we prayed again. That's the trend. Every single, we don't have time to go through his chapter. It's only chapter four. But every time he faces it, he prays, and then he gets to work. Everybody, we need to say that out loud. We need to pray, then get to work. That's his strategy. It worked. It's the Bible. And so, uh, it says this, and this is where I want to sum it up to this one little part. It says in verse 10, it says, We prayed, verse 9, to our God and guarded the city day and night. Not God. We prayed to God, but we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. We prayed and then did our part. We expected that God would be there. He'd put supernatural strength into our hands if need be. But we knew it's from God, but we knew that we had to guard this city day and night. And this is what happens when you've been constantly praying and you're constantly working. This is what happens. Don't be surprised that this is what happens to every single believer right here in this moment. And maybe you haven't hit this point yet, so put this sermon in your pocket because it's coming eventually in your life. And this is where you get to, it says, verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall 
by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again they will come from all directions and attack us. I could keep going in the scriptures. There's many more we'll pick up next time, but this is what I want to sum this up. And as I got it all to this point, we need to look at God and just right now, this is what they missed. God sent him all the way back to Jerusalem. There's all this opposition, and yet somehow the wall is miraculously built to half its height. One stone at a time, they did it, and suddenly it feels like we're never going to be able to do this, forgetting what God had been doing them, God been doing for them every day through their hard work, through their tenacity. This is what the enemy is going to try to do. If, he's, if you're not in that place today, this is what he's going to try to do in this, next, this season we're going right into right now to get you tired of praying, tired of fasting. I'm tired of this. It's been since March. I'm done. I'm ready for the next season. And to move out and let the enemy have its way because that's exactly what they want. They're going to constantly bombard you and t try to torment you and irritate you and frustrate you and just get you to say whatever. This nation deserves what it's going to get. I don't care anymore. I'm not saying that. <laughs> and no one's going to quote me. I did not say that. I'm saying that's what the enemy will want you to say. And we are not going to say that. We're going to stay consistent. And, that's, and, and then we don't have time, but the scriptures go on to say, so they put guard, you know, to make it happen. The 24-hour guard duty and whatever it takes. And they keep doing that. So on and so on. That's what it takes. That's what it's going to take right now. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have reminded us of Nehemiah this day, Lord, and that we are people just like he was. We're just human beings, Lord, who are submitted to their God just like he was. And Lord, we have an even greater covenant with you through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for the strategies. We pray for the strength. We pray for the tenacity, the vigilance, the steadfastness, Lord, to keep going and keep working and keep walking through this hour. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.